Hi everybody, I'm Claire, I'm an alcoholic. Hi Claire. My sobriety date is October 11th, 07, and that freaks me out sometimes, and I'm really excited about it. Um, and a part of that is that I get to meet women and, and guys in the room too that um, that need help just like I did. And that's, that's why we all come here, right? Because we relate to each other. And um, I got to meet Octavia a little over a year ago, year about a year and a half ago. And, um, and I've gotten to watch her grow through these steps in this program. And um, I'm not going to take any more time up and let bring her up, Miss Octavia. Good evening. My name is Octavia. I'm an alcoholic. And my sobriety date is October 2nd, 2017. Um, So I just had a nice celebration of that um, most important day of my life for sure. Um, My home group is Northland, um, but I'm really excited to be here at Bolden. Um, This is my third time here. Uh, And, you know, I I was thinking about, um, I, I volunteered for this on Saturday. I went, I had gone to a meeting in the morning and then I just randomly decided to, I have no idea why I showed up at Bolden, but I did. Um, and someone said they needed a speaker and without thinking, I just raised my hand. Um, so the without thinking part was great. That's how I try to do it these days. Um, so I was reflecting on what I was going to say and my alcoholic controlling self was like, okay, you got to like type it all out. And, and then my sponsor just told me to come up and say what I used to be like, what happened and what I'm like now. So we're just going to go with it, see where it goes. Um, I was born and raised here in Austin. Um, My parents um, are Romanian immigrants. They came over in the 70s. Um, Very high achieving, pressure, think my big fat Greek wedding, but Romanian. Um, Very loud. Uh, So I grew up in in a happy, Um, in a happy home that valued education. Um, It's just me and my little brother, my little brother and me. And uh, it's not like I wish I could say I had unfortunate upbringings, but at least that would give me an excuse. Uh, But I didn't. It was, it was, uh, I was very blessed. Um, I was a straight A kid in high school, didn't, didn't touch a drop, didn't, didn't do anything except study. Um, my mom was a tiger mom. So uh, that was my source at that time of affirmation, um, external affirmation from others was um, grades. Um, I always struggled with uh, depression, so my alcoholism is tinged um, with a mood disorder uh, that I wasn't aware of until eight years ago. Um, And that's kind of where I want to start. 
So eight years ago, at pretty much exactly this time, I was in a mental hospital, um, went there voluntarily um, because I had just attempted suicide. Um, I was in San Antonio in medical school at the time. Um, hated it from day one. Um, but I felt like I had to because, insert reason in the blank. It wasn't for me, it was to please my parents, to have letters behind my name um, for money. Um, and <clears throat> the way that my alcoholism mixed with mood disorder works is when I get depressed, I don't drink, I don't smoke. I don't know why. Um, I'm kind of grateful, actually, that it happens that way. Um, but this was a totally sober moment of desperation. It was not, I did not see it as a gift. Um, so I lived on the 18th floor of my building, and I went on the balcony. It was about 3 a.m. My mom was sleeping in the other room because I couldn't be alone. And I tried to jump off the balcony. Um, that's how grotesque my mind is. Um, I literally was hanging on by my hand. Um, I don't know how I got back over. I'm not very strong. I, I don't. I don't know. Maybe it was adrenaline. But the only thing that um, brought me back, it wasn't me. It wasn't. It wasn't any desire for life for me. It was that it would absolutely destroy my parents, um, and they didn't deserve that. They. They didn't you know, escape a communist regime where their families were murdered to come to this country to have her daughter, their daughter kill them herself. Um, and even that reason, it was only barely convincing. So I climbed back over shaking. Um, I had written a note, um, I completely blocked out that memory. I don't know what I had said, but I had put it on my mom's nightstand so that she would find it in the morning. Um, and I thought about um, going and just taking the note and just pretending like it never happened, because that's what I did. I would just lie uh, and keep secrets. But something prompted me to just... Um, I just woke her up and I told her I needed help. And the next morning, my dad was there driving me to Houston um, to go to a hospital. Um, I was there for three days and I felt like I was in hell. They hopped me up on all these medications. Um, I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't go on the smoker's patio. Um, I was just alone and feeling even worse, if that's possible. So I called my parents, I said, get me out of here, and uh, came home to Austin. 
So that was 2011. And uh, very quickly, probably within a month, um, I became hypomanic. Um, I remember very little of the last three months of 2011. The, the medications that the doctors had put me on um, just, just completely kicked me up there and I was spending, I was making impulsive decisions, I was drinking constantly. I had no job. And so my parents took away my car keys, they took away my credit card, they did pretty much everything they could to stop me from like killing myself. <clears throat> um, said some pretty nasty things that uh, I have no idea what I said. Um, to the people who loved me and just took to, took to alcohol um, because I knew that it was always there for me and that at some point people were just going to leave. I, I knew that I was pretty irritable, just not a fun person to be around, um, but I didn't care because I was having fun. And that's all that mattered. Um, so the uh, the manageable drinking um, continued um, over the next year. Um, I had these grandiose ideas that, you know, I, I was going to go back to grad school. I was going to do it, I'd try again. And, you know, I was going to go to Harvard and Oxford and I'm just babbling about these ridiculous <laughs> plans. Um, but I, I finally, I found a program that accepted me for um, a doctorate in clinical psychology in DC. So off to DC I went on my parents' dime, of course, um, and started again. Um, two years went by. Um, I don't think I studied really at all. Um, because my alcoholic brain is smart enough, just smart enough to like get me through without actually having to work. Um, I was pretty much acting like a college kid, um, with no sense of responsibility or work ethic. Um, and then it came down to actually doing the deal actually helping people, working in the clinic. Um, and that's where everything came crashing down again. I could not, I could not sit with another person and have empathy and put my own stuff aside, my ego, my self-centered, selfish, self-seeking, ways um, to just look at someone and say, hey, I know you're struggling. I'm here for you. Um, let's do this together. I didn't understand that empathy um, required a gift of self and a separation because that was my pattern. I, I enmeshed myself in whatever relationship, whether it was romantic or friend or family 
and I became one with that person because I would take their temperature to figure out how I felt. Um, I didn't have a, a self. Um, so naturally, um, there was no way that I could help another person if I just took on their suffering. I didn't know how to get out of that. I just added to mine. And we were just sort of sitting there like, hey. Um, it was a lot more dismal than that. Um, so I started slipping. I went from top of my class to barely passing. Uh, started cutting classes, leaving early to drink. Um, the only thing I, w I would do is I would show up for those sessions, but everything else I didn't care. Um, so they put me on probation and um, telling my parents that was interesting. Um, and I, I slowly started to fail out. <clears throat> And I came home, I remember, at Thanksgiving after this spree of drinking and, you know, waking up in strangers' beds and never at my apartment, my friends having all sorts of interventions for me. Um, and I came home to Austin and I said, I, I, I failed again. I can't do it. But there I was, you know, the next week back at it, and I was like, I'm just gonna do this out of spite. I don't, I don't care. I don't even know if I want to do this. I'm gonna finish it if it if it kills me. <clears throat> so I go back, start slipping again, because I was running on my own will. There was no room for God in there. There was no listening. It was just me talking myself in circles. Um, wanting the prestige. Um, so I eventually took a leave of absence, came back to Austin, and in three months, everything was better. <clears throat> I was fine again. I was myself again. So I went back again. Um, I would call it resilience, but I think it was just dumb stupidity and being stubborn. So, um, so back I go and, uh, start over, start the year over. Two months later, I'm back to the same place, but this time, this time I said, um, I, I'm not even going to try anymore. So I, uh, I had a drunken one-night stand and got pregnant. And that just isn't done in my family. Um, I was also Catholic. I, mean, I am Catholic. So I didn't really have that many options in front of me. Um, I wasn't, you know, I won't go through the excruciating decision-making, but the decision I eventually made was um, uh, not, to, not to have the child. Um, and <clears throat> the only reason for that um, was because 
I wanted to finish I wanted to finish this doctorate and didn't think I could do it with a kid. But I ended up dropping out anyway because that that sent me into a a deep, deep um it wasn't depression, it was just despair. Um so I told my parents and I said, I, I, I'm finally, like, I'm done. I need to come home. I need to get better. I need to stop drinking remorse. I have to change my ways, yada, yada. And I was back at it <laughs> a couple months later, again, just, just being incredibly uh, reckless and haphazard with other people's uh, lives and feelings, but also um, most of all my own, to the point where I was completely desensitized to intimacy, to friendship, um, to love. Um, I didn't. I didn't even know how much in despair it was. Um, because at least if you know you're despairing, you can do something about it. But if you don't know, you're you're kind of screwed. So um, so somehow I uh, I landed a job. I had a useless master's degree for reasons which are not relevant. Um, so I became a writer at a global intelligence firm, which is a pretty cool gig. I was completely not suited for it. My uh, a friend's my friend's dad was the CEO and he got me the job. I was a good writer, so I thought, why the hell not? Three months later, I'm canned because of restructuring, but I wasn't really doing. I wasn't carrying my weight. I wasn't teachable. I came in and I knew everything and I was the master of the language and I knew the intricacies of <laughs> Middle Eastern geopolitics, which I completely don't. Um, get fired, uh, kind of hang out for a couple months, living with my parents. And uh, then I land another job in tech, in marketing. So somehow I morphed from failed medical student, failed therapist, failed writer to a marketing specialist. I don't know. Again, got it through a friend, not on my own merit. Um, four months later, I was fired because I didn't know what, like, I didn't know what a KPI was. I had no, I didn't want to learn about marketing. I thought anybody could do it. And I was hanging out with a bunch of engineers who thought I was an idiot because I was, because I didn't bother to learn what a mainframe was. Um, <clears throat> So my boyfriend at the time breaks up with me the same day as I got fired, which is really cool of him. And uh, then I said, Christ, I, like what now? I, you know, all my, my 10 year high school reunion was coming up. I, um, everybody in my class was married and careers and, um, so I tried a little 
a little of this, a little of that, being fun employed, and uh, then landed yet another job in fundraising uh, at a school. And then on July 17th, I was arrested for drunk driving. I was at a happy hour um, on the east side, and I had had like six or seven, it was one of those craft breweries. And yeah, I, I don't even, well, it was probably more, but uh, that's what I said on the report. Um, so spent night in jail, and when I sobered up, uh, I just thought, is this like, is this a nightmare? Like this, this cannot be happening. Like the, the, it's just not possible. Um, my family thought I was dead. Um, my brother, who is younger and much wiser, which is supremely irritating, knew, he knew, um, he had been telling me for years I needed to watch my drinking. And so he checked the records of Travis County or whatever and saw that I was there and, uh, they got me out and we had a little family meeting. And I remember sitting there really, um, <clears throat> kind of, um, what's the word? Just proud of how messed up I was and staring at the three people who loved and supported me um, and just saying, yeah, like I've disappointed all of you. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to help me get out of the mess that I made? Because I'm not going to do anything about it. Because you've always cleaned up my messes. And that's your fault, by the way. So you made this. They didn't take well to that. Um, but bless their hearts, they, um, they just sat there and they said, all right, what are we going to do? Um, and... Um, we just took it one day at a time, really. Um, getting all the legal stuff and uh, the first week of August, um, my brother took me for um, for dinner and he said, look, I wanted to talk to you without the parents being there. They, they don't know how your drinking has been. I know, my friends know, everybody we grew up with knows. Um, and you, you need to get help. I don't, I don't care what it is. Go to treatment, go to a therapist. I do not care, but you are not going to continue doing this to our family. And you're not going to continue doing it to yourself. Um, so I said, okay, cool. Thanks. Love you. Bye. Um, and then I went to go install my breathalyzer at a little place on Burnett. And of course, the guy who installed it was this like cute, like tatted hair, just. And so uh, naturally, I started flirting with him and I was like, hey, what's up? And uh, he was like, can I just install your breathalyzer? Like, please stop. <laughs> um, and so he asked me. Um, I, I just word vomited my story because that's what I do. Um, and he said, oh, cool. So are you going to go to AA? And I was like, no. 
I don't know. What what makes you think that that would be right for me? And he was like, a, this breathalyzer in your car that you're going to have for like a year. So anyway, I was like, okay, uh, what do you know about AA? And I knew nothing. I mean, zero. Uh, and he said, well, there's a little place um, off... Um, off 2222 called Northland Group and actually they have a speaker meeting tonight. It was a Friday. And I was all dressed up um, <laughs> and I was supposed to go to uh, Rainy with my friends to get wasted because my life was horrible. Um, and I said, okay, are you going to be there? <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, yeah, 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 I'm going to be there. Uh-huh. So I'll see you there. Um, and I was like, okay. So I go to my first AA meeting <laughs> for a dude <laughs> who already was like, yo, you got to calm down. Um, but, but I showed up. And I walked in those doors. And I saw this quiet peaceful 1950s old Austin haven where it didn't matter that it was 2222 and burn it and super loud however many acres it's on it was just this this heaven and I look and everybody's like circa 75 and I was like cool yeah all right I can dig this so I wander into the to the room and uh, and I see this guy and I'm like oh score. Um, so I sit next to him and I don't think I listened to a lick of that meeting. I was just like okay, how do I get him to hang out with me afterwards? Anyway, you get the picture. It was just gross. Um, and after the meeting, um, I stood up. And I had, you know, I had done the, this is my first ever AA meeting. I stood up and all of a sudden I see this girl walk over to me. And I was like, is she, is she walking over to me? And I'm like a violently social person. Like I'm not an antisocial drinker. So like I'm fine with people saying hi. And she goes, hey, I'm Claire. I was like, hey, I'm Octavia. She's like, this is your first meeting, right? I was like, yeah. She's like, do you have a sponsor? I was like, what's that? And she's like, okay, I'm gonna buy you a big book and I'm gonna be your temporary sponsor. Okay, cool. Uh, I think I even picked up a desire chip, which started this tradition for my, for like the next three months, I would literally pick up a desire chip at every meeting to the point where it became this running joke in the meetings, the old timers would be like, oh, oh, good for you. When are you gonna make a belt out of it? Um, and uh, I just immersed myself in the program. But the problem was, um, well, I don't know if there was a problem because I was there. So I'm just not gonna go down that path. I was there, but I was drinking. So I'd go to happy hour and then I'd go to an AA meeting. And then finally I found the 7.30 morning meeting, which for a night owl like me, oof, 
And the only reason I did that was so that the job that my parents gave me, um, working as a health coach who smoked, um, was so that I wouldn't have to start my day at 7 a.m. So that I could, like, tell them I was going to a meeting and then sleep in and then get there at 9 and then check out at 3 and go to another meeting. Um, <clears throat> but I started becoming uh, eventually more of an early riser and started sitting down more in the seat. I didn't shut up. I, I wish I had a little bit more. I uh, definitely took a couple meetings hostage, many meetings hostage. Um, uh, and then I get a call from my probation officer on September 30th. And she said, hey, how you doing? You've racked up two violations on your breathalyzer, and if you get another one, you're getting an ankle bracelet. And I said, oh, nope, that's not going to, that's not going to be part of my story. Um, and so the following Monday I sobered up, uh, and I'm a little bit miffed that, <laughs> that that was the reason out of fear. Um, but it doesn't matter because on October 2nd, I woke up and said, eh, I'm not going to go to happy hour today. And then on October 3rd, I woke up and said, I'm going to go to a meeting and I'm not going to go drink before or after or during. Um, <clears throat> and then we just kind of, kind of got going, um, on the program. Claire, um, Claire really walked me through. I immediately, um, in that first conversation, I was looking at the steps and, and I, I looked at step four and I looked at step nine and I just looked at her and I was like, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work for me. Like the other, yeah, the others are fine. I can, that's, that sounds pretty, but, um, but not those. So she said, nope, uh, stop it. You're nice, but stop. And we're going to, we're going to read the title page of the big book, the copyright information. We're going to slow it down. So, um, you know, I, I had come in with a God of my understanding that was Catholic and loving, but a little bit harsh maybe because I was always the victim. And why would he do that to me? Um, and that God of my understanding, I believed, wouldn't let me let go. It was still the God of my will. Um, and, and it eventually came back to bite me because in January, I turned 29 and I went, I went to the New Year's uh, party at Northland, and it, it was it was pretty it was pretty depressing. There were like ten people there. Uh, we had a very half-hearted countdown, um, and then we had a meeting after where nobody talked, 
Uh, and then this one dude talked for like 25 minutes. I'm, I'm not even kidding. And nobody would stop him because nobody wanted to talk. So I, I looked around and I, and and when I when I turned 29, I was like, this this is my these are my people. What? And then I just went MIA. I couldn't get through my fourth step, which was the lie that I told myself that Claire pointed out to me. And uh, I just thought, cool, another thing that I failed at. Can't even be, can't even be a, like a, an alcoholic. Because at that point, AA had ruined my drinking too. So, so I had no identity left. Um, I slipped into another depression. I didn't see or talk to a single person outside of my brother and my parents and those poor patients who I talked about carbs and fat and protein with um, for nearly six months. Um, my friends thought I was dead or in jail. They didn't, the ones who knew I was in recovery just figured at some point people, people have to move on with their lives, you know? Um, so slowly, slowly, friends stopped reaching out. Um, and then I really felt great about myself because it, it confirmed, oh yeah, I don't really have anything to give. And now that nobody, now that nobody is, is wanting to pay me attention, that's just a confirmation of that. So, so life sucks and then you die. Um, I don't think I smiled for, I don't know, months. I watched everything on Netflix, like, like, like everything. I would stay up all night. Uh, I would take naps at work. I started having panic attacks. I didn't touch the big book. I just wanted to disappear completely. Um, the only difference was, by the grace of God, that I didn't get far enough to start planning how I was going to disappear. I just knew I wanted it. Um, and at some point, my mom, completely at her wit's end, employing a daughter who's com utterly dysfunctional, it reflects on her, you know, she's a physician. Um, I, I was just kind of a basket case at work. And she said, look, Octavia, I, I don't, should we take you to Shoal Creek? Do you need to go back to the, we've tried adjusting your medications. You're like, hey, you're lying. You're lying to everyone about how you are. Like, how are you? Tell me. And, um, I was just completely catatonic at the time. No, nothing touched me, and I just said, I'm fine. Just, I just want to go home and go to bed. So she said, okay. Which is probably the first time that my very aggressive mother has ever backed down. And even then, I knew, oh, shoot. She's never done that before. She doesn't know what to do. <laughs> This, this woman is experiencing more stress dealing with me than she ever did immigrating and, and 
arriving here dirt poor and, you know, somehow making a life for herself. If she really doesn't know what to do, then I don't, I don't know. I didn't see a next step. So the next day, um, Anthony Bourdain, rest his soul, um, kills himself. And I started reading about him, um, reading about his addiction and the incredible gifts that he had. Um, and it suddenly just clicked, not in my brain, but in my gut that, that, that was a jumping off point. At some point I was going to get there. I was just biding my time. I was just marking time as I passed by. Um, so I stayed up all night. It was a full moon. I, I, I think I smoked two packs. I'm not, yeah, it was my poor lungs. But it was worth it because um, I had written everything out, finally accepting that something was wrong and something had to change, and I wanted to live. And not only live, I wanted to be content. I wanted to be of use. And the next morning I got up and I went to an AA meeting. And when I walked back in those doors at Northland, I wasn't nervous. I, I was just sort of like, okay, how, how's this going to go? I don't know how this goes. And everyone was just like, it's you. Where have you been? We thought you were dead. We kind of hoped you were in jail or like kidnapped or something. Um, but glad you're back. Let's go to a meeting. And of course, me being like really attention seeking, I was like, oh, is that it? You're not, you're, oh, okay. All right. I had, I had missed that crappy coffee. It ruined my, my coffee snobbery, that, that Northland coffee. <laughs> God, I love it. Um, and then, honestly, it's been kind of a pink cloud since June. Um, I got back in. I told Claire, you know, I, I have to finish this fourth step quickly. Um, so after a little bit of a review of who my higher power was and how I needed to fire... <laughs> the one I thought I had, um, he got me through it. And then he got me through the fifth step and the sixth and the seventh and the eighth. And now I am on the amends part. And I just remember, uh, I was writing one of my letters earlier today, and I remembered being in that first meeting and just thinking it's not possible for me to do that. There is absolutely no way I'm going back to my man-child of an ex-boyfriend and telling him that I was sorry for something, I guess, I, I had done. Um, but it's... Even doing the ninth step and writing out, writing out how my character defects have caused me to step on the toes of my fellows and have caused them to retaliate, that is my reprieve today. Even the gross, gritty, 
stuff that I've revisited. Um, maybe it's maybe it's the rose-colored glasses, but I'm glad to look at my past today because I, I see it as an asset now. I don't see it as a burden. Um, it was in the daily reflection the other day. Um, you have to you have to prune the the roses, um, even if they look beautiful. Maybe especially when they look beautiful, you have to see the laurels. Um, I have to see the laurels and and say, hey, I got a year, but I also just have a couple days. That's all I have. Um, and uh, so that this week has been really exciting. Um, obviously. Uh, and of course I immediately started dating someone because I was like, oh, okay, I can date people now. Thank God. And of course that crashed and burned within a week. So that's been fun learning, learning lesson. Um, but, uh, so I, I, I get my, I chaired the morning meeting on Tuesday and then Wednesday I slept in, not, not intentionally. I just slept through my alarm. Uh, so I missed the meeting and then Thursday morning, one of the old timers who always gives me a hard time, but I love it because it's attention and I love attention. Um, he comes up and he says, Hey girl, good to see you. I was like, Hey, it's good to see you too. How are you? He's like, well, I'm a little puzzled. I said, okay, can I help you? <laughs> he said, well, I thought you'd gone and graduated. And I said, what the, can you stop with this AA speak and just like be just like, <laughs> speak English. And he said, well, you know, some people, when they get a year, they, they peace out. They think they got this. So I didn't see you yesterday. So I thought that, I thought that you were done with us. And I'm very sentimental and I really look up to this guy. He's like my spiritual guru. I like copy him in the meetings. Like when he closes his eyes, I close my eyes. Uh, and uh, seriously, and he, uh, I almost, I almost started crying because I've never ever been part of a community where people notice one day when you're gone. If you show up every day, and share when you feel like sharing and listen when you feel like listening. The fellowship of AA is there. It's there for the taking. You just got to show up. So I did a weird little <clears throat> one of these and, uh, and I said, nope, nope. I just left, slept in. That's really all it was. And he goes, okay, okay. <laughs> and then he gives me like a very stern look. He's like, don't let it happen again. I don't want to waste my time worrying about you. I have other things to worry about. Um, so, you know, I guess that's, that's my story. Um, it feels weird to summarize almost 30 years um, in 45 minutes, but there it is. And if there's one thing that I've learned from this amazing, painful, annoying, miraculous program, um, it's that 
if I am willing to let God build with me and do with me as he will, he will take away my difficulties, not for me, but so that I can be of service to others. And there is absolutely no way that I can do it on my own. You can listen to my experience and say, oh, that's six months where she wasn't in the program. That sounds kind of cool. Maybe I'll try that. Wouldn't recommend it, but go ahead if you want. Because <sighs> it was miserable, but I didn't drink. Um, but today, sitting here on this way too hot October evening, um, thinking of what I used to be like, what happened and what I'm like now, I have nothing but gratitude, um, vitality, the, the zest for life, for my life, um, has returned and I can't wait to to see what happens next, not only to me, but to the newcomer, to the most important people in the program. So, um, yeah, thanks for letting me speak and keep coming back. Yeah.